0: Today, we are talking about the helmet of salvation. Now, I really believe this is a specific word for us today, especially in this season. So I'm really excited about it, and I believe that God is going to speak. You ready to hear? Not from me, from him, because he wants to speak. Amen. Let's pray. I want you to just bow your heads. We're going to ask, we're going to give Jesus permission to speak to our hearts this morning. Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you that you have been faithful We are not just wandering, God, through this life without the provision that you have provided. You provide for your children. We don't have to take a step and wonder if we're going to fall. We may stumble, but we won't fall to destruction. You are taking care of us. And so, Father, I pray that hope would rise up to know that you are in control. Jesus, we say that we trust you and we love you. And God, we give you permission to speak. If you, need, if you need to do that, if you feel like, hey, that's for me, I want you to say, Jesus, I give you permission to speak to my heart. I give you permission to, to, to move things around in my mind. If there's some wiring that's been wired up wrong in the way, I've been, the way I've grown up, the way I've thought about this, God, I pray that you would set me straight. Set my mind straight so that I can walk in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go to Ephesians 6.13. It's on the screen. This is the passage we've been reading the past several weeks. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. We can stand firm after we've taken up the armor of God. This, is the, the, this verse was written uh, a little weird, but it says, Once we've taken up the whole armor of God, we can stand firm. We can't stand. You can, you, once you put on all the armor, you can withstand anything that comes against you. Verse 14. Stand, therefore, having already fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can esti- extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. Okay. I want to remind you that this battle is about defending ourselves from Satan's lies and deceptions. satans lie. This is what the battle is about. It's about defending ourselves from the lies that the enemy wants to put in our heart, to put in our mind throughout the day. Each piece of the armor helps us defend against different lies of the enemy. It's all about truth versus lies. This is The armor is about putting on God's truth, even though we have the belt of truth, it's about putting on all the truth so that we can withstand the lies of the enemy. Each piece of the armor helps us uh, defeat different, specific, different lies the, throw, the enemy throws at us. I wanted, though, to take a second to highlight that the Bible compares Satan's attacks, that is his lies, to darts or flaming darts, or we can say arrows. If you study the Bible if you study the Bible and look at arrows, you'll see that arrows have to do with words. Anytime, I'm going to read a couple of verses in a second. Anytime you see arrows, they are psychological weapons of warfare. Look at Psalm, Psalm uh, 38, verse 1. This is David writing about his sin. He had sinned. The Bible doesn't specify how he sinned, but David's writing about it. He says, uh, Psalm 30. Oh Lord, rebuke me. Look, rebuke. What is re- a rebuke? It is using words to correct somebody. Rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Look at verse two. For your arrows, your words have sunk into me. You have convicted me, and I feel and I and I feel sorrow. I feel repentant for what I've done. And your hand has come down on me. Your arrows have sunk into me. Your words. And then your discipline, your hand has come down on me. So we see that words have to do, arrows have to do with words. Look at verse uh, Psalm 11, verse one. David is writing again. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. Live that verse up. It says the wicked have lifted their bow they, they've put the arrow in the string to shoot, the dark at the up, to shoot in the dark at the upright in the heart. How many of y'all shoot bows and arrows? Anybody in here? How many times do you shoot in the dark? You really don't, right? I know with today's technology, you can probably do that. Um, you ever seen the, the hog hunting, like at night? Have ever you see, ever seen that video? That's one of these. I don't, I don't mind hunting, but I would love to do that one day. Okay. So if y'all have, if you have any connections, let me know. All right. So you don't shoot in the dark. There was no flashlight back then. There was an electricity. You shot during the day. So this is not talking about actual arrows. This is talking about people coming against David and trying to slander his name, trying to cut him down. Do you know this is what the devil wants to do to you? And he wants to do it in the dark, so you, that you don't realize it's him. He wants you to believe that it's your spouse, it's your husband, it's your wife, it's your boss. It's your supposedly best friend. It's your family. He wants you to believe it's not him. But let me tell you, I want to expose him today. It is coming from him. Now, your family member may be being used by the devil, may be possessed by the devil, (laughs) but it is not them. It is the devil. Listen to this. God wants to save your soul. That is your mind, will, and emotions. We're going to get back to that in a second. The devil wants to destroy your soul yes god may allow you to uh, be going through very tough situations where you're being tested and you're being tried but it's not so that he so that your soul will be destroyed it may be feel like that in the moment he's trying to discipline you the devil on the other hand doesn't care about you getting better he wants to completely destroy you the armor of god is defending against satan's attacks against your soul he's learning it's that's what's happening. The enemy is coming against your soul. What is your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. He wants to take over your mind, what you're thinking about day to day. That way he can control what you say and therefore control what you do. He wants to take control of your emotions. How many of y'all have, have family members have personally dealt with um, um, mental, mental illness or mental health? He wants to take over your mind and your emotions. he wants to control what you feel and ultimately he wants to control your will. he wants to, to control what you do when you get up in the morning he wants to control what you decide to think on first. am I going to think about my day i'm going to think about the Lord? He is trying to destroy your soul and we 're going to learn today that God is continually saving our soul now the helmet of salvation i didn't get to i, I um, didn 't get to get a picture to the media team but uh, and we've had a picture every time we've come together. But anybody seen the movie Troy? Or seen Gladiator? Anybody? Am, am I dating some of us? Okay. So there was a helmet that protected the head, but also it would protect the back of the neck and the side of the face. You also you remember those little metal strips that protected the side? And then I think in Troy, they had the piece of metal coming down the middle. The Roman helmet was called galea galea g-a-l-e-a it was made out of iron and it was covered in bronze um if you weren't if you didn't come from um financial means then a lot of times you had a leather helmet but roman soldiers had a, had a helmet made out of iron and it was covered in bronze obviously it protected the head and the back of the neck and the side as i was studying though i i i, I found something out that i first didn't think about and i thought well oh, yeah i can't believe i didn't think about this but the helmet protected the soldier's vision, protected their vision. And it makes sense. It, it, there is obviously the, the, the metal that covered everything except for the eyes and the nose and the mouth. So it protected the line of sight. But also, if the head got hit by a sword or by an arrow or some other weapon, it allowed the, the helmet protected the brain so that the vision didn't get blurry. Does that make sense? So if you don't have a helmet, I was—I w- I read a few um, stories about how important it is to have a helmet. I think there was like this kid that fell off a bike that didn't have a helmet and the way he fell, he suffered life-ending injuries. There was another kid who had a helmet on that got ran over by a car and they were completely okay. So helmets are really important. So a helmet protected a soldier's vision. So if they got hit, their vision wouldn't get blurry. And if, if you're in the middle of a battle and your vision gets blurry, you're gonna, you're gonna get killed pretty quickly. So it was really, really important. Now, um, we could spend more time focusing on how the helmet directly uh, protects where the enemy wants to come, right? We're talking about truth and lies and where do we process those things in our mind. We could spend more time talking about th- about how the helmet directly protects the, our, our, our mind where all the, we process all these things. But I really felt led today to emphasize how the helmet of salvation specifically protects our vision. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. Yes, it protects our mind and protects what comes in and out. But I believe the Lord wants us to focus on how it specifically protects our vision. Now, what is salvation? What is salvation? I could spend the rest of the sermon. I could spend the rest of the month talking about salvation and what it means. Um, but I want to read this passage that describes what we're saved from and how we are saved. If you have your Bible, turn to Titus 3. This is one of my favorite passages because it's a cadet's passage. It's like five or six verses. Um, but it I think it clearly describes what God saves us from. Salvation in, is, implies that we need saving from something. Is that right? We don't need, when somebody needs salvation, then we got to figure out what do they need saving from? Are they in trouble? Is somebody chasing them? What do I need to save them from? Titus 3 verse 3 says this. For we ourselves were once foolish. We were once disobedient. We were once led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. How many of y'all can identify just with that phrase right there? We are slaves to various passions and pleasures. This is the thing about sin. You can think that, oh, I'm going to, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to engage in um, extramarital affairs. I'm going to engage, I'm going to take a little bit more from myself at work than I should. We can engage in these different passions and pleasures, but the truth is you're slaves to them. This is the, this is the one that, this is one of the deceptions of sin. You think you're in control, but sin's actually in control, and you can't tell yourself when to stop. Has anybody in here ever um, gone, through, uh, been addicted to any kind of drugs and had to go through rehab? I know a lot of us have. I guarantee you that um, when you engaged in that, you didn't think you would lose control. Is that right? You lost control, and that's the thing with sin. You, you don't have control. We are slaves to these things. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, And hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Look at that first phrase. He saved us. What did Jesus save us from? He saved us from a destructive life. This is what he saved us from. We were living this life thinking we were in control of morality. Our sin, our passions, our, our, our desires were in control. And he came and he saved us. This is a result. We, this destructive life is a result of sin. Um, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this destructive life was a result of sin. Jesus had to come along and deal with our sin issue. Let's keep reading verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us and righteousness. There's nothing that you did to deserve this. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we received the Holy Spirit when we received Jesus into our life. And the Holy Spirit washes us. Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse 8, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So once we're saved, we are to do good works. There's a lot of people who believe that you are not saved unless you do good works. How many of y'all grew up in that church? They may not have said it explicitly, but they expected you to go to church. They expected you to dress a certain way, to practice your faith a certain way. Once you did those things, then you were saved. But the truth is, we didn't do anything to be saved. Once we are saved, though, we are saved to do good things. What am what I saying? You can't be a Christian unless you have the fruit to prove it. The fruit isn't salvation. It simply proves that your salvation is in the ground. Does that make sense? A lot of people say, well, I'm, you have to have fruit to be saved. No, it proves you are saved. It proves that the seed of the word of God went into the good ground of your heart, took root in, in a healthy tree and branches begin to come out and fruit begin to be produced. That is the fruit. We are saved because of what Jesus did on the cross and his mercy towards us through Jesus. All right. I shared a little bit of my testimony when we were talking about the, um, the breastplate of righteousness. Um, I used to carry all of, remember I mentioned earlier that the breastplate will rest on the belt. It helps carry the weight. Otherwise, you're carrying the full weight of the the breastplate on your shoulders. That's what I did right up until after I got divorced. I realized I had lived a life thinking that I had to live my life perfectly so that I was received by God. And, and the devil, is so, he is so evil because the truth is I love God, and I sincerely love God. But he got me to believe that I had to live my life perfectly or else God wouldn't accept me. So evil. I realized that it wasn't my righteousness on why he accepted me. It was because I believed in Jesus, took on his righteousness, and took the, that took the weight off my shoulders. This is, what, this is how we are saved. We're not saved by our own works. We're saved because Jesus died on the cross. So what is salvation? In the most basic sense, salvation means to be saved or delivered from something, right? Would y'all agree with that? To be saved or delivered. How many of y'all have been in a tough situation before and a family member came through or a friend came through and helped save you out of that, that predicament, right? We've all been there. So how many would say, I know God saved me from sin, from my sin and from a destructive lifestyle? Let me see your hands. He saved me, right? I gonna raise both hands. He saved me from a bad life. OK, how many will say, "I still struggle with sin? Hmm. So did he save you or do you still struggle? Okay, well how about this? Let's go back to the definition. Salvation means to be saved or delivered from something. That is the basic meaning of salvation, to be delivered from it. But how many us still struggle with sin? Let's see what the Bible says. Look at Ephesians 2: verse eight. "For by grace you have been saved through faith." And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that anyone may boast. We already talked about this. You can't boast about salvation. So it says, verse, go back to verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. Look at first Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay, so in the other verse it says, uh, you have been saved. In this verse it says, You are being saved. Okay. First Corinthians three fifteen. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we have, you have been saved, are being saved, and will be saved. Which is it? Look at this. You will be saved, and you are being saved if you have been saved. So... The best way to understand this is to understand we are a triune being. We're just like God. God is a trinity. We are a triune being. We have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit, okay? First, the first, it's not a point, but the first thing I'm going to say about these three. Our bodies will be saved in the resurrection. We'll be saved. Remember, we read that that, that phrase, we will be saved. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We're going to have a new body. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on our heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. I love this. We're not just going to be spirits in heaven. We're going to have a new body that we can touch, that we can feel. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan inside, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. This, the, we have been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as a hope that it is so that one day we're not gonna stay in these fallen bodies that are gonna grow old and die one day. We are gonna be given a new body. So we'll have new bodies. So I wanna encourage you, steward the body you have, but don't stress out too much about it. It's gonna die one day. If you have body issues, if you have these issues, Set your mind on this truth will begin to set you free. You're going to die one day, but one day you will have a perfect body that you love completely. So begin to let go of this life. This life is going by like this anyways. Okay? Our bodies will be saved. Our souls are being saved while here on earth. So what is the soul? I mentioned this earlier. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. There's three parts of our soul. Our mind, what we think, our will, what we decide to do, and our emotions, what we feel. So let me ask you this. Is your mind, your will and emotions are they completely free? Or does the devil still come into these areas of our lives? Obviously he does. So our souls are being saved. The Greek word for saved is the word sotzo, S O Z O, and it means this. It means to be made whole in body, soul and spirit to be made perfect. That's what so to be saved means to be made perfect. Our bodies one day will be made perfect, not on this side of eternity, but once we go to be with the Lord, our souls, however, are being saved while we are here on this planet. This process of being saved or perfected, which we just read in the definition, is a process called sanctification, sanctification, and how many of y'all have heard of that phrase before? just a simple definition of sanctification sanctification is this is the process of being made holy being made like jesus that's the process because the truth is before you come to jesus you're a son of the devil really really so if you have people in your life that are not saved and they're acting like the devil it's because they are his children and you once were those people you were sons and daughters of the devil So don't be too hard on them. Love them. That's why I was talking about this abortion issue. People that are not saved are going to have some ridiculous ideas. But you can't blame them. They're simply mimicking or emulating how their father lives and acts. The devil. So let's love them. Okay. So we were, um, this process of sanctification is becoming less like the devil and more like Jesus. I tell you, we need to give each other grace in this season. Because... Has anyone ever adopted before or known someone who adopted? When a child is adopted into a new family, yes, they have the new name. They have the access to all the perks of being in the new family. But guess who they still act like? The old family. So don't be too hard on yourself. Pursue Jesus, but realize that you once were a son of the devil. So what's this process look like? Look at Colossians 3 verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, been saved You've been saved. You've given your life to Jesus. Set your hearts on things above. He's telling us how we are to act. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your mind on, he tells them again, look, I, guys, I know it's hard. I, I recognize that you are sons of the devil. That's why I'm telling you again. You're going to have to intentionally begin to go a different direction because it's natural for you to sin. It's natural for you to think uh, like the world. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature. He begins to describe some of the things we're going to have to let go of. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Verse 6. Because of these, all these things, the wrath of God is coming against those who don't know him. Verse 8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. He he makes another list. Anger, rage, malice. Malice it means, how many of y'all are old enough to remember the malice in the palace? The Detroit Pistons and the Pacers. All right. Okay. Go to YouTube when we get out and watch that. Malice means to want to inflict harm on somebody else. Slander and filthy language from your lips. Verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And then verse 10, and, ha- and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. As I was reading this list, was, was there anything that popped that popped out to you that got your attention that you need to deal with? That is your homework assignment. I, I used to, because I want to do, I, I kind of, just the way I'm worried, I want to, I really want to do everything right for the Lord. I used to look at the whole list and really just try to like, all right, I've got to make sure I'm doing all these things right. But as I've grown, I've learned that God doesn't want to throw the whole book at us. He wants to bring one thing to our attention and ask us to deal with it. So is there one thing on this list that, that popped out at you that you need to deal with? Deal with it and ask Him to help you. We should all be growing. Here's another question. Have you grown in your walk with the Lord since the year started? I know some Christians, and I've been in this place before, so I'm talking about myself. But I know several people who have not grown in years. They look exactly the same. They talk exactly the same. Have you grown? We should be, be be becoming more like him. So our bodies will be saved. Our souls are being saved in this life, but our spirits have been saved. This is, this is amazing. So when we say you are saved, your spirit is saved right now. Once you were dead, now you are alive. Look at Ephesians 2 verse four. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I said this, I think, last week. But do you realize in this moment, you are there is, your spirit is with Jesus, has a perfect relationship with him, and you are seated with him in heavenly places. That is a reality. That's why we pray. When the first Adam was alive, he destroyed the relationship that we had with God. But when the second Adam came, that is Jesus, he restored relationship. When, during, after the first Adam sinned, uh, God had to create a way so that we could have a relationship with him. That, that way was called the tabernacle. And if you, we don't have time to go into it, but the, at the end of the tabernacle was the holy place. There was a thick curtain that, that divided the children of Israel from the holy place. Because, yes, they could come to God, but it was not... Very easy, you had to go through all these rules and rituals. When Jesus died on the cross, if you read in the Gospels, it says that when he gave up his spirit, the curtain in the tabernacle tore in half, symbolizing that we now have a perfect relationship with God. This is, I think we just take it so for granted because we we just don't realize it. Before Jesus came, people could not just pray and could not just come into God's presence. They weren't seated in heavenly places yet. We have that amazing privilege, and it is a privilege, to be able to pray and God hear us. I'm going to share a few things at the end, but there are some things I've gone through recently, and I'm like, God, I need you to show up right now. Anybody been there? I need you to speak right now. Do you know that was not always possible? We didn't always have that privilege. We have that privilege today because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's an amazing thing. Our spirits have been saved, our bodies will be saved, and our souls are being saved. Okay, let's go back to the helmet of salvation. Why does Paul use the helmet to describe how salvation helps us? So why, basically, we have the breastplate, we have the bell of truth and all these things. But why is the helmet given the name salvation? Or why does God use the helmet to describe what salvation is? I want to remind you, the helmet protects the head or the brain. This is where the enemy comes to try to put lies. We're learning that all the armor helps protect us, but I believe there is there is a specific reason why it's called salvation. I believe this is why protecting our minds. You can go put that up. Protecting our mind. The next one. Protecting our mind. I skipped over that. That's on that one. Protecting our mind with the truth of salvation helps us battle one of Satan's biggest lies: hopelessness. Can I say that again? protecting our mind with the truth of salvation. We just learned about salvation, right? We we will be saved, are being saved, and have been saved. Protecting our mind with this truth helps us battle one of Satan's biggest lies, hopelessness. You know why people commit suicide all the time? It's because there's no hope for the future, no help for next week, and no help for tomorrow. There's no hope for these things. I was talking with a friend yesterday. And five people close to his family. When in the, this past year have committed suicide. Five people. Do you realize that suicide is a demonic spirit? It is rooted in hopelessness. It's this belief that. No one's ever going to love me. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to get out of this financial hole. I'm never going to mean anything to anyone. It's a culmination of all these thoughts that leads us to an action that is irreversible. Do you see, as we've been talking about how the enemy attacks, can you see how it begins working on people's minds? This is, I'm telling you, every bondage is rooted in a false belief said this before, but I, I could say this every week and we could get something new from it. Everything we deal with, everything is rooted in a false belief. The act of suicide started with thoughts of hopelessness. I was thinking about... Um, well, let me, let me say this. What does it mean to be hopeless? Let me put that, the definition on real quick. Hopel- hopelessness is the state of being hopeless. So what is hopeless? Hopeless means having no expectation of good or success, no expectation of good or success, it means not susceptible to remedy or cure, meaning you're never going to get better, you're always going to be sick, your situation is never going to change, hopeless means incapable of redemption or improvement, you're never going to get better, you're going to be in that same financial state, you're going to be in that same place for the rest of your life, incapable of solution management or accomplishment. How many have had this thought recently, it's never going to change? He's never going to change. I've been married to him for 20 years. He's never going to change. I've been married to her for 20 years, seems like longer. She's always going to nag at me. I'm always going to be in debt. I'm never going to lose weight. I'm always going to be inadequate. My father's never going to accept me. My mother's never going to love me. It's never going to change. That is the definition of being hopeless. And these are thoughts that come directly from the enemy. Do you realize if you've had any of those thoughts I just mentioned, the devil probably put that in your head? He wants you to believe that every situation is completely hopeless, that there is no solution. Listen, hopelessness does not begin as a feeling. It begins as a thought. I already said this. It's rooted in a false belief. Hopelessness does not begin as a feeling. You feel hopeless, but it doesn't. I was thinking about an analogy. Um, As you know, I like to play golf. Augie knows this and other people that I play with. We begin with the belief that we're going to have our best round ever. Is that right? We believe that we have this hope. But after the first hole's over with, that hopeless the hopelessness begins to set in. Nope, it's not going to be one of those rounds. Actually, it's probably going to be one of the worst rounds I've ever had. And then you get the second, third hole, and then after a while, you just don't care. What's funny is after you let that go, you begin playing looser, and then you actually have a really good round. But you don't begin hopeless. No one begins hopeless. We don't begin thinking, you know, I'm just going to have a crappy life when I get older. <laughs> no one believes that. What happens is the enemy begins to come in and begins to... Uh, paint a picture or take situations that have happened to us and make us believe that it's never going to get better. It's always going to be the same. We arrive at hopelessness when we look at our problems and don't see a solution. You know what's, what's even sadder is we give up hope and then settle for a life that God intended us for to have and then through, our, through the way the devil works, we believe that that's the life God wants for us. God has a good life for you. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of welfare and of peace to give you future and a hope. God has a good plan for your life. And the enemy wants nothing more than for you to believe that it's never going to change. So how does the helmet protect us from hopelessness? I already mentioned this. The helmet helps protect the soldier's vision. The helmet of salvation helps protect our vision. It keeps our vision sharp, protects us from being nearsighted, from being distracted, from focusing, listen to this, on the moment. The reason why people commit suicide is because they cannot see past the next moment. And let me tell you, If you don't have Jesus in your life, you have every reason to feel hopeless. Because then the weight of of your life, the weight of your success, literally is resting on your shoulders. And that burden is just too heavy to carry. Jesus is the hope of the world. The helmet of salvation reminds us that Jesus didn't just save us one time. He is continually saving us and will one day completely save us from everything that wants to destroy us. He's not just saved. We weren't just saved one time in our spirit. He is continually saving our soul, our mind. He's redeeming our mind, redeeming our will, redeeming our emotions. We have a hope. He didn't just die on the cross one time, ask us to believe in him and then go sit in heaven and then wait for us to get there. No, he is today saving our minds, our will and our emotions. So if you feel trapped in your mind, if you feel trapped in your emotions, I just can't seem to shake this feeling of despair, this the feeling of fear, this feeling of being overcome by the world. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is still a savior. And when you put on the helmet of salvation, you have hope for the future. Jesus is a savior he wasn't just a savior one time he is still a savior and he is saving and redeeming every part of our life Psalm 43 verse 5 says this why are you cast down O my soul and why are you in turmoil within me hoping God David is telling his soul he's going through a tough time Saul's probably after him his enemies are coming after him he says why are you cast down because he's feeling these emotions He's feeling the weight of the world. We've all been in this place where we've had the world come against us and we're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. David is ministering to himself, something that you're going to have to do. He says, why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 27 verse 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He is my salvation, my light and my salvation, my light in the darkest moments of my life. He is my salvation when I feel like the enemy is about to get me and destroy me. See, David put in those verses was putting on the helmet of salvation. Saying, you know what? It seems it seems gloomy. It seems like I'm in a dark place, but I'm putting on the helmet and is giving clarity to my vision vision to know it. it's going to work out. It's going to be OK because my God loves me. My father loves me and has a plan for my life. I want to end with this passage, Romans 8, verse 18. It says this, Yet what we suffer is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. I I go to this verse many times. In in the ESV it says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So it doesn't matter what I go through. It doesn't matter if I have the worst day of my life. I know everything that it's nothing compared to what is waiting for me. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's, glory, God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that the, all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. He's saying this, that creation was put on, the reason we have, listen, the reason we have earthquakes, the reason we have tornadoes, the reason we have these calamities is because when Adam invited sin into the world, he didn't just invite it into human beings, he invited onto the planet. The planet was the Garden of Eden before sin came into the world. The reason we have these things, the reason bad things happen to good people through these tragedies is because sin is present in the world. He says the earth has been groaning, waiting to the moment, to the day it will be redeemed. The earth will be redeemed the way our bodies are going to be redeemed. Verse 23. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait, listen, with eager hope. This is hope, the helmet of salvation. We're for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. We have partial rights now, but we will have full rights when we put off this body of sin, including the new bodies he has promised us. We are given this hope when we are saved. This is the helmet of salvation. We are given this hope. If we have if we already have something, we don't have we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must patiently wait and wait confidently. This is the hope we have. For in this hope we are saved that one day our old bodies will be put off and will put, we'll put on the new bodies that God has given us and we won't be in subjection to fear, to anxiety, to brokenness. Last week, um, I've mentioned this the past few weeks, I think. I've definitely mentioned it to the staff and to different people, but I have, I have felt the enemy attack me um, I don't want to say more than ever, but he has been attacking a lot recently and last Monday, I was talking on the phone with a with um a, one of my mentors, and I was just telling him man i i'm just tired i'm tired there's a lot that we're doing, yes we're growing, we're doing things, but I'm just tired and he was and I felt bad for him because he was trying to encourage me, but I was just sitting there like you're not it's not working, not getting anywhere, and then he prayed for me, and I could tell he sensed just this It wasn't hopelessness, but it was pretty close to that, like, I just don't know, I just, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I just, I don't know how I'm going to get this energy, but I don't know. Two, literally two hours later, another friend of mine messaged me, and she said, um, she said, Josh, I don't know the Lord. I hadn't talked to her in weeks, and she said, Josh, the Lord just put you on my heart, and he gave me two words for you. The two words were trust and persevere. He says, tr- she said, trust the promises that God has made to you. He's made to Kingdom Church. He's made to your family. Trust and believe that God has a plan. And the second one, persevere. Keep going. You're, and she didn't say this, but tying into the sermon, she said, don't get nearsighted and focus on this moment, on this day, and feeling overwhelmed. Know that God is for you, and he will come through and rescue you, bring you into a new season. I truly believe the helmet of salvation wants to give us hope to keep us from getting distracted, from getting nearsighted, from focusing on the moment, to have a hope that Jesus wasn't just our Savior one time. He is our Savior every day and he will rescue us out of anything that wants to destroy us.